Welcome to Substance Free 02043, brought to you by Hingham Cares. I'm your host, Kristen Arut, and I am President and Program Director of Hingham Cares. Our mission is to reduce substance use among youth in our community. We want kids to make healthy choices around drugs and alcohol. To that end, we provide programming to the community at large about the inherent risks of underage substance use. So we're delighted to welcome actor and comedian Lenny Clark. Lenny has been a fixture on the Boston comedy circuit for decades. He's also done a number of films and television shows. Thank you for being here, Lenny. It's my pleasure, and thank you for doing this. It's really important, the work you're doing. Thank you. So you're a pretty famous guy, and yet it was a little bit challenging to find out information about you online. (laughs) So let me tell you what I know, and then you can fill in the blanks. Okay. You were born in Cambridge, graduated from UMass Boston with a degree in political science. In the 80s, you ran for office. You ran for both mayor of Cambridge and Congress before moving to California and focusing on your career in comedy. From there, you became a fixture on the Boston comedy scene. You married your lovely wife, Jennifer, in 1996. Gained a lot of weight, lost a lot of weight, and you've been sober for about 25 years. Congratulations on all of that, by the way. Thank you so much. That's pretty good. That sums it up pretty damn good. I think I need to write for Wikipedia because I didn't find all of this on Wikipedia. Oh, there's some stuff on Wikipedia I'm still trying to get off. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I didn't rely on that exclusively. Well, thank you. Um, And since then, you've done a number of films, like There's Something About Mary, Me, Myself, and Irene, and you've done a bunch of TV shows, most notably in the role of Uncle Teddy on um, the Boston-based show Rescue Me. That ran for seven seasons? Seven seasons, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Did I miss anything? No, not at all. So that's it. You're doing great. That's you, in all a right. nutshell. That's it. <laughs> so in the field of prevention and recovery, we talk about ACEs, which are adverse childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. They're used as sort of a metric, a way to identify potential vulnerability in kids. The thinking is that the more stressors there are in a child's life, the more inclined they might be to turn to substances at some point in the future. Was this your experience growing up? Is that how you ended up using substances? Or, you know, give us your backstory before your recovery journey. Uh, It started hanging around the the, the playground. You know, uh, all the older kids would be playing basketball and they'd be drinking beers, you know, and... uh, and if they needed someone to fill in the sub, and I was a pretty tall kid, so I would sub, and they, I'd get in and play, and then they'd give me a beer, you know, and we started, and it started simple as that. Then it became a, a thing about people asking people to buy beer for us, you know, that was a big thing. Hey, we buy a beer, you know. Then later on, we started smoking grass, and what kills me today is people always said grass was a gateway drug. And I'd say, oh, you're so full of crap. Well, I was wrong again because <laughs> grass was a gateway drug for me to coke and, and the pills and, and the methadone and heroin and every, every everything that you could imagine, I did. And I I, uh, I was a very naughty boy. And uh, through the grace of God and, and the help of some wonderful people, I managed to, uh, you know, come out of it. You know, because a lot of us, I, I like to relate it to a lot of us jumped out of the plane, but not everyone pulled the chute. You know, a lot of my friends are dead. And as a result of substance abuse? As a result use? of substance abuse, alcohol, drug, yeah, yeah. Self inflicted wounds. Yeah, you know, I mean, when I speak with, with kids today, children, kids, whatever they want to be called, because I, I, I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't like to put labels on anybody, but when I say, look, when we used to get high, we got high to get high. Today, you're getting high to die. 
there's, there's this thing called fentanyl. And unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard about it. They put it in everything. Right. And sometimes just even being near it can kill you. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a lot of friends of mine who are first responders who say, Lenny, you know, we brought a kid back to life the other night. The first thing he says, what are you doing? You ruined my high. And they say, we saved your life. I don't give you a So it's... That's the power of addiction. I think today, kids are more vulnerable today because of the internet, because of you know, TikTok and all, all, all these things that can show you where to get it. Or, you know, it, it, it's, it's not just peer pressure amongst your friends. It's peer pressure being home on a computer. I mean, it's, it's out of control. It's accessibility. Ex accessibility and no one's really taking responsibility. We all know kids are going to experiment. I did. We all did. And that, that's part of growing up. That's part of life. But if I can, if I can save just one kid, just one, to, to go through the hell and the horrors that I went through, then I've, then I've done something right with my life. And I, I clown around. I'm a comedian. I make people up. But I take my sobriety very, very serious mm -hmm. because without my, without my sobriety, I would have nothing. I mean, and I mean that sincerely. So, you know, if you're thinking about experimenting, do more research before you experiment. Give yourself the chance to have a chance. I mean, you can do drugs one time and die. Right. You know, there's, there's no rhyme or reason. You may, you could do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, everything's fine. Thursday, you're dead. Same drug, same drug dealer, same thing. It's a hit or miss. Right. So when did things get out of control for you? When did you start to recognize that, Maybe I have a problem here. Or did you ever get to that point? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I'm, I get to that point several times in my life. Early on, you know, when, when I was drinking the beers, when I was getting drunk and, and disappointing my parents, mm. that's when it, it, I said, I, this is not good. You know, because my parents... How old were you at that point, approximately? 15, 16. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I, I started drinking young. You know, yep. I started drinking beers at 13, smoking grass at maybe 14. Uh, I did coke at maybe 18. Heroin at a much later time in life, but I, I never injected it. You know, I, I smoked it, I chewed it. You know, I, 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 I put it on cereal. I mean, I, wow. uh, but I, I wasn't not a needle guy. You right. know? And my mother begged me, please don't do the pills. I know you're, you're going to be in show business. Please don't do the pills. So I did coke and blow, and I wanted, and I thought it was mama's little boy because I didn't do the pills. No and later in life, I was taking pills. They said, this will keep you high for 10 hours. 10 hours? Take a pill. You can be high for 10 hours? Of course, that wears off, you know, and then you need more and more and more. And it's a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. And I must point out, whatever we discuss from this point on, I don't want anyone to think I'm glamorizing the getting high at all. I, I went on one podcast and, and, and millions of millions of hits and one stood out to me. Lenny Clark shouldn't be glamorizing uh, the fact that he was getting high. And I go, I was at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> I mean, I'm not romanticized. I'm just telling you what it was all about. It's the fact. It, it's the fact. And I, I, I talked to a lot of successful friends and I have many, many successful friends. And I said to him, would you change anything? And nine out of 10 of them will say no. I wouldn't change a thing. They said, Lenny, what would you change? I said, everything. I would change everything. They said, well, you may not be where you are. And I said, no, but I might be farther along. I may be farther ahead because I made a lot of foolish mistakes with the drugs. Uh, people always say, 
the drugs and the booze, do you ever see any really successful people? And you may, you know, but that's just the part of them that you're seeing. We don't know what their life is like. We don't know what their inner, inner workings. We don't know what their health. We don't know anything, you know. Right. So take care of yourself and, and, and pay more attention to yourself. It's like when they say when the oxygen mask comes down in the plane and they say, put yours on first. And I was always one. well, no, I, I help the kids first. If you don't put yours on and you're unconscious, you can't help the kids. Right. So take care of yourself, you know, put the mask on first and then help Great the Great analogy. Others. I love yeah, that analogy. Yeah. So some people say that they had an aha moment that was defining for them. Others say they were just sick and tired of always feeling sick and tired. Was there a moment for you? You said that there were several moments where you realized, okay, I got to get clean. I got to get clean. I got to get clean. What was that final shift for you? What brought that about? Uh, probably the, 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 the disappointment I saw in my wife's face. Uh, you know, I mean, like I said early on, how I, I hated to dis disappoint my parents. And I, I come from a family of eight kids, and we all love each other very much. And I, I hate, I hate like, I'm not even going to use the word hate. It, it, it hurts me, it pains me so bad when I see a look of disappointment in the eyes of people that I care for and respect and love. Mm -hmm. My wife said to me, she said, Lenny, I love you when you're drinking, and I love you when you're not drinking but you seem a lot happier when you're not drinking. Hmm. And that hit me like a sledgehammer. And uh, I was shooting a movie, and I just murdered two men in the film. <laughs> and uh, this young kid came over to me, and they said, that's a wrap on Lenny Clark. And I had got a, a bottle of whiskey and a bag of cocaine and a bag of grass and a six-pack of beer, and they said, are you happy, Lenny? I said, I'm really happy. He said, you want to get more happy? I said, you don't scare me. He said, we'll pick you up at 6 in the morning. I said, okay. So I grabbed a buddy of mine, a childhood buddy of mine, and we went out bar hopping, and we were drinking all around town. And we went back to the hotel, and we were still doing drugs. There's a knock on the door. My buddy goes, who's that? And I go, some friends of mine. Don't worry about it. And they said, are you ready? I said, I'm ready. And my friend said, I can't leave the room. I'm too high. I said, it's okay. So I left some cocaine for him, and I grabbed some, and I left. I went with these guys. We got in the van, and we drove to St. Bridget's in South Boston, and we went into the cellar of this church, and I thought it was a rave. I really, I thought it was a rave party. We were all going to get whacked out. And imagine all these people. Wow, look, this is going to be great. And they said, sit down, and it was an AA meeting. No kidding. And I said, oh, my God. And I, they said, just listen. And I said, you want to do a bump? No, just listen, just listen. And halfway through, I said, wow. Wow, that, that, was, that, was, that was pretty powerful. And they go, uh, we want to go have a drink now? And they go, no, no, that's just the first half. You got to stay. You got to stay for the second half. So I, I stayed for the second half. And they said, what do you think? And I said, I want, I want what you people have. I want this. So they took me back to the hotel. I gave whatever cocaine I left to my maid. My room was the cleanest room in the hotel for the next couple of days. And I left, and I've been, I've been sober ever since. And that was March 8th, 1997. No kidding. Yeah, I was kind of tricked into it. You know, I, I didn't know I was going. But, but I was, it worked. It worked, and I thank God. And I still have my same, my same sponsor today. I like to tell people that are listening, you don't have to do it by yourself. I could not do it by myself. You know, uh, the, there's a phrase we use that uh, we do for each other what we could not do for ourselves. 
I had a guy who would come to my house, knock on my door, my mother goes, he's upstairs, Phil, and he would come up, let's go. So we go, we're going to a meeting. I said, good to meet, we went to one yesterday. He says, can't stay clean on yesterday's shower, let's go. This wow. guy would not let me go. He cared about me so much, he loved me so much that he would not let me go. And I went to meeting and meeting and meeting and meeting and meeting and, and, and you don't have to do it my way. You can do it any way you want, but the big thing is you do it. Ask somebody for help because there are so many people out there just waiting to help you. And a lot of people are afraid to ask you for help because you may take it wrong, you may be offended, but if you're ready to change your life, if you're ready to save your life, reach out because there are more good people that, than you'd ever imagine. So what does that say about the role that these individuals played in your life and the potential role that others can play in their loved one's lives? So you weren't offended by them taking you to a meeting, basically hijacking you and taking you to a meeting. That right. didn't offend you. No. It might offend somebody else. Oh, so yeah. How, how, what kind well, of advice do you have in a situation well, like that? you've got to be ready. You've got to want, it's like you mentioned, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's affecting your job. It's affecting relationships. It's affecting your everyday life. I was a blackout drinker. And by, for those of you who don't know what a blackout drinker is, the minute I got enough booze in me, that was it. I was off the chain and out of the yard. I, I had no control of anything I did, and I, and I didn't remember that. And people would say, you know what you did last night? And I go, no. And I oh, my God, I did that. And I would spend most of my waking hours apologizing to people. I'd be apologizing to strangers in the street. They go, what are you apologizing me for? Oh, we'll get around to you. Yeah, I mean, it was just so bad. And was this a daily occurrence? Daily occurrence. I, I, I blacked out everything. Because I, I drank for the effect. I didn't drink to be oh, suave. I mean, I go, let's get blacked out. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was, people would say to me in, in, in the throes of my illness, they would say, are you okay? You know, because I mean, at one point, I was 380 pounds doing cocaine and eating subs and washing them down with six packs of beer. People were waiting for me to explode, you know. Wow. Like, and people, nice people, really did care. They said, Lenny, maybe, maybe you ought to slow down. And people say, Lenny, you have a really bad problem. I said, how can I have a problem? I still have money, you know. And, and, and of course, the money was that level of denial. Oh, yeah, the, the level of denial was incredible. Mm -hmm. I surrender. I surrendered. I surrendered. The booze is the undefeated heavyweight champion of the world. No one can beat the booze. I don't care who you look them up. Look up, see if anyone you know is no one's ever beat the booze. They may taper the booze, they may try to drink safely, they might, they might try to. You'll pull a geographic and go someplace else beyond the beach. I'll only have a glass of wine on the beach. No, no, no. No one beats the booze. The booze is undefeated. And unfortunately, the booze for me led to other things. Led to the grass, led to the coke, led to the heroin, led to all sorts of pills and drugs. I mean, it'd be nice. I'd be doing things that I didn't know what they were. People have a handful of pills. Hey, what are those? He said, I don't know. Well, let me take them. I was like an experiment. I remember my mother said to me, she said, what, Leonard, why do you drink? And I said, because I'm depressed. She said, booze is the president, you stupid ass. Don't drink, don't drink, please don't drink. And uh, uh, on my mother's deathbed, I remember her saying, listen, Leonard, when you stop drinking, all my prayers were answered. You know, just don't drink. Mm -hmm. 
And so, like, I, I made, like, a deathbed promise to my mother. But I had been sober for probably 20 years, uh, you know, before that, before she passed. And, I, and it was nice because I remember my mother saying, she was speaking at a group, and she said, I don't know what you've done with my son, but I cannot begin to thank you because he's one of the most generous boys you'll ever meet. He sent me to Europe several times. He re rebuilt my house. He's taking care of me and the rest of the family when his father passed away. But when he drinks, Leonard, you are an obnoxious asshole. And I will take that to my grave. Remember my mother saying that. And I said, wow, you know. And, and Well, talk about feeling like you've disappointed her. Those words must have kind of stabbed you in the heart. Gutted me. Yeah. Gutted me. Because... There's a woman I love the most, more than anything in the world. You know, my mama's boy, so I don't care. I just wanted, wanted to take care of her. I wanted to, like, my, let me buy a car. She said, I don't drive. You know, let me fix up the house. I'm, I, 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 under death, I said, how many times have you been to Vegas? 18 times. You know, every time I was in Vegas, I'd fly her out to see me in Vegas. And, you know, and I'd take her places. And, uh, you know, she loved that I did charity work. You know, she said, when you do charity work, that makes me so proud of you, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, you know, because... Everything good about me came from my mother and father. Everything bad came from alcohol and drugs. I, I feel blessed. I'm not lucky. I'm blessed that I don't have the need or the obsession for a drink today. Because it, it wasn't easy. Not everyone can stop drinking. Because if they could, they probably would. Uh, and I'm not judging anybody. If you're, you're one of those people that can have a glass of wine at dinner and, you know about your business and enjoy the grapes from all around the world and you know and, and the, the finest of liqueurs and everything good that's good for you. i can't i'm going through a, a physical emotional spiritual journey right now and uh how much of it left in my life i don't know but my goal is to to do it sober give yourself a chance you deserve a chance help other people help you Does addiction run in your family? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Okay. My dad was uh, a raving alcoholic, and he promised my mother if she married him, he would never drink again. And uh, there was some... Did he keep that promise? Yes, he did. Wow. He did. I made the same promise to my first wife. Didn't make it through the first weekend. Uh, yeah, so I'm not after dad. My, I'm not after man my dad was. Although... This marriage that I'm in, I, I, I call it my last marriage, uh, I haven't drank in 25, it will be 26 years in March, March 8th, God willing. So there's been a lot of research about the, the teen brain, the developing brain, mm -hmm. and how vulnerable the brain is to basically anything, you know, any kind of substance, any kind of conditioning. Mm. Do you think that that played a role in the issues that you had later in life, starting to use substances at a younger age? Do you think that if you hadn't, that maybe you wouldn't have struggled as much? I'm, I'm, I realize I'm asking a hypothetical question here. No, no, it, it's plain as day to me. No, you're, abs you're absolutely right. I had a photographic memory. I was one of those people who had a photographic memory. And I was incredible at remembering names. I can remember everyone's names. As a matter of fact, so much so that Tip O'Neill once offered me a job 50 years to stand next to him 
and tell them the people who were coming up to them their names. No kidding. Yeah, and that was wow. a, uh, and, I, and I said, Tip, I'll, I'll do whatever you want, but I want to be on TV. Can you get me on Merv Griffin? Because I had seen him on Merv Griffin. <laughs> Wonderful. And I love Tip O'Neill. I love his whole family. But before the booze and drugs, I had a photographic memory, but I'm dyslexic. Back in school when I was dyslexic, they didn't have a term for that. They didn't know what dyslexia was 50 years ago. You know, right. they just said, boy, ain't right, you know. So the juxtaposition of the words would not come out in scripts. And after years of dr booze and drug abuse, when I finally got to the point in my life where I was reading scripts, uh, it got much, much harder for me. Do you think that your substance use issues would have been as exacerbated if you hadn't pursued the career that you chose? Were you around substances more because of your line of work? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, I was working in bar rooms, and I was traveling with, with drug dealers. You know, I mean, uh, they love to laugh, you know. But yeah, had I been like a regular nine-to-five guy working, I would have been, a, you know, I probably would have been an alcoholic. But had I been able to get a job uh, like an electrician or a plumber or, or something like that, I would have. I just had no skills. I had no skills whatsoever. And comedy started out as a joke. And 50 years later, it's, it's, it's given me an incredible career mm -hmm. and an incredible life. So on Wednesday, April 12th at 6 o'clock, you're headlining a fundraiser for the Edwina Martin House, which is a home for women in recovery. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about that and also some of the other work that you do in the field? You talked about some of the fundraising and volunteer yep. work that you do. I do a lot of charity work. And the, the, the key thing there is charity. A lot of young kids come up to me and they say, how do you get on TV all the time? How, how come you're always on TV? How come you're always in the newspaper? And I said, well, I do a lot of charity work. And they, they say, what's that pay? And I went, <laughs> it pays nothing. You're missing the point. It's charity. <laughs> I mean, I myself have fortunately raised over $3 million, $1 million on three different occasions uh, at, at certain events. Wow. Yeah, and, 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 and I, I get really into it. I mean, I, I am like the world's, craziest auctioneer you know i put pit people against each other and i love it I, I really do love it but when i raise money for for kids that's what really made my mom and dad happy they would be so proud of me you know so i, I do the children's hospital mass general children's hospital uh, the boston hospital i mean i say yes more than i say no i only say no because i'm probably booked at something else mm -hmm. i took up uh charity golf to meet bobby orr that's all. I just wanted to meet Bobby. I never golfed in my life. I said, okay. So I played 14 charity events before I'm in the 14th event. Lenny Bobby's here. I said, he's here. So I left my foursome and I, I took up, where are you going? I'm going to meet Bobby. I'll be back. I'm going, Bobby, oh, Bobby, freaking oh, Bobby. And he goes, Lenny freaking clock. I goes, you know me? He goes, yeah, I've been dying to meet you. You've been dying to meet me. I've been dying to meet you. He goes, well, we got to we gotta, we gotta stop. I said, why did I say something? I said, he says, no, we were on the first hole and they were hitting into us. <laughs> So he said, we'll have dinner later. And we've been friends ever since. But he said, do it. Do as much charity as you can. He said, do it out of the goodness of your heart. Mm -hmm. I owe something to give back to people that need help. Would it be kids or families or like a, uh, you know, make, make a wish? Uh, I didn't make a wish. And the kids' wish was that they didn't have to spend any time with me. <laughs> <laughs> And I did, and I did, I did Tom Brady, you know, Tom Brady, I'm at Tom Brady's event, 
For seven years, I was doing events, raising money for just at the chance that Tom would throw me a touchdown pass in Harvard Stadium because they had a big game every year, all these celebrities, and I never got invited. So one year I did two dinners with these people and raised a ton of money for Tom's uh, best buddies. And he said, Lenny's coming. So I, they wouldn't put me in the game. Tom says, go, go, go far, go left. So I went left. I caught a catch. And, and, I, and I was so excited. <laughs> it was great. Was Tom was that's a hell of a catch. I, said, I only got one shot. I couldn't miss. You can have fun doing these events. You know what I mean? You, you, it's, not, it's not something I dread. You know what I mean? I go and I, I try to meet people. And uh, it's so weird. I try to be open and friendly and handshaking and hugging and everything because I mean it. That's I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to be there. I'm just not there. Oh, I got to be here. It's a, some contractual obligation. No, I'm there because I want to be. So I always ask our guests two questions. Okay. And one is, what advice would you give to parents, caregivers, adults, in terms of keeping kids safe and healthy around substances? Be in their life. You know, I know how hard it is. I know what you're doing you're probably you're working your husband's working your wife is working you're doing everything you can just to make the bills you're doing everything for the betterment of your kids and i know there's no way around that but try to be in their life as as much as you can i i adored my parents all i wanted to do was you know uh, I, I couldn't wait till my father said you want to go dad help we want to help dad yeah you know he said uh, I, you're horrible let's go help your mother i'll never forget that but <laughs> Just, just let them know you're there for them. Let them know they can talk to you. Let them, you know, let them know you're not gonna, you're not gonna yell at them. They can tell you anything because sometimes that's all it takes. It's just that little, you know. It's all right. Whatever you're going through, share with me, and I and I'll help you. And uh, I mean, I think, I think most every parent, you know, I'm not a parent myself. The government won't let me have kids, but <laughs> I think most every parent feels that way anyway. And 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 I know it's it's hard sometimes because they are kids, you know, but. Let them know. Let them know that they can talk to you and, and you, 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 you'll take care of them. That's great advice. I know it can be difficult, especially dealing with teenagers. Oh, God. You don't know how to read them. You don't know. I mean, they can be put off if you ask a question. I'm but... embarrassed by you, Uncle Lenny. <laughs> I go, well, Uncle Lenny's just going to get a little bit louder. <laughs> but staying involved, staying active, yeah. staying tuned in, yeah, yeah. Those, that's all really be great there advice. Be there for them. Be there for them. Even when I, like, I used to call my mother... 10, 12 times a day, she said, Leonard, stop calling me. You're ruining my programs, you know? But, you know, <laughs> and there was no, when my parents passed, I can honestly say, thanks for sobriety, there was no unfinished business. That's great. I used to kiss my mother and my father on the face every day. My father goes, what is wrong with you? Kiss your mother. But it was like, they knew I loved them, and, and I certainly felt loved by them. So, yeah, so just let the kids know that you're there for them. And then by the same token, what advice would you have for kids on how to stay safe around substances? And you've already kind of touched on this a little bit at the beginning of the interview. You offered up some advice about um, making safe and healthy choices. How would you encapsulate that into a little message? If you feel like you want to try drugs, do as much research, do more research on the drugs than hunting the drug down. Because look at all the people in your life that you look up to. Look at all the people that you think you might want to be. You know, a lot, a lot of young kids look to, to actors or, or sports celebrities. Most of them aren't on drugs. You have to have a, a, a keen, keen eye, a cool mind. You got to realize everything you do has a consequence. 
You may just want to dabble. You may just want to try it. Well, unfortunately, at this time in our life, dabbling or even just trying it once, you could die. It happens. Right. Read the papers. Watch the news. A lot of these kids that are dying, the overdoses, they didn't want to overdose. They didn't want to end their life. It was what was in whatever they took. Now, I mean, a beer isn't going to kill you, but, but I mean, I can't even say moderation now because there is so much fentanyl is in everything. And that's why, that's why people are asking people like me to reach out to you. It, it may seem like, it may seem like a great time, but as a dear friend of mine said, play the tape all the way through mm -hmm. and you'll see at the end, you'll be, you'll be devastated. Don't take the chance. Don't take the chance. Life is tough, man. I'm not, oh, life is beautiful. It's a bowl of sunshine. It's a unicorn. No, life is tough. Don't make it tougher on yourself. You know, just don't be a self-inflicted wound. You have so much to offer yourself. Think about yourself because only you can be you. My mother told me that. And I said, really? She said, yeah, thank God, because we don't want another one of you. <laughs> but only be yourself and just... just Try to make it through today. That's all. Just today. So I have a little lightning round okay. to go through. These are yes or no questions. Okay. You've had an illustrious career. Do you think that you would still be popular if you didn't have the accent? Yes. We recently interviewed Steve Sweeney, who had been who's been dubbed the legendary king of Boston comedy. Do you believe that you are more deserving of that title? Absolutely not. Steve is definitely the king. Would you ever run for office again? Never. Is your wife better at fishing than you are? Oh, God, yes. She's a monster. And lastly, you've traveled all over the country and all over the world. Is there a better city than Boston? No. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs>And people can find out more about it at emhouse.org. Is that correct? I, yeah, I believe that is. It's going to be at the IBEW Hall in Dorchester, right off the highway. And, oh, my God almighty. This show is going to be so great. It'll be myself, Steve Sweeney, Kelly McFarlane, Carolyn Plummer, Tony V, Jimmy Cash, and probably some surprise guests too. Thank you for joining Substance Free 02043. I'm your host, Kristen Arute, and I hope that you will join us again. Oh, we'll join you again, Kristen. We'll join <laughs> you whenever you want. For more info or to get involved, go to hinghamcares.org.